He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep selling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good afternoon and happy Wednesday. Welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seasons of wisdom, insight, inspiration, <laughs> liberation, empowerment, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And as you can hear, I got somebody with me this morning, this afternoon. I'm babysitting. <laughs> I'm having fun. Uh, we're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we're here to empower you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, us on this illuminating journey. <clears throat> Several ways to do that. Uh, we got a chat room that's open, so you can go to the chat room. The link is there on my Facebook page. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. My handle is Lorenzo T. Neal. Show handle at Zero Radio. So check us out on both of those. Um, also follow us on the Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, and uh, Zero Network Facebook page. We're on there, so you can join us on that too. Also, uh, and where else? Wherever else we, we're here, you can send me a personal message, pastoroneal at gmail dot com. Uh, I got <laughs> I'm babysitting today. I got one of the little church members here with me. Hanging with me today. And uh, come here. It's little Jackson, little dude. He's watching Curious George and eating French fries while I'm going to try to make it through this broadcast uninterrupted. I don't know how well I will do. But anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching the live stream. Thank you for supporting me. And, um, you can follow the show at Zero Radio um, on Twitter. You can follow blogtalkradio.com slash Zero Today. You can go there and see archive shows available in any old podcast, iTunes, all of that. You can catch archive shows. Anyway, got a lot to talk about today. And um, <clears throat> like I said, I have a guest here, and hopefully I can get some things done. But if not, I'll be all right. You just... Tune in as best as you can, as long as you can. <laughs> oh, boy, this is gonna be fun. Um, Keith, he's keeping me entertained. So today I want to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. It's fifth anniversary. 
uh, officially today of Black Lives began in the summer of 2013. And want to talk about some of those things that have developed, some of the things that have developed since then. But I also want to talk about uh, <clears throat> a couple of the topics that have crossed my desk this week. Um, church-related and non-church-related. If I can focus. I think I got my Adderall this morning. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of stuff. Let me start off with a headline. There was the church in uh, Indiana. And I, I came across this again uh, by way of the uh, old black church website, block site. Uh, it's just Ann Brock, who is the facilitator for that page uh, brought up this story about a church in Indiana that had a sign and the sign read uh, LGBTQ crime against God repent and I looked at it and according to the story they were um, the church was um, that they were renting and holding services and um, I don't know what the qualifier was for their um, tendency there. I don't know what they had to do to maintain it, but apparently whatever, whoever owns or leases property or building to them thought that the message was offensive. <laughs> thought that the message was offensive. And so they um, came out of, of the meeting space. Um, no, no, this little guy makes me excited. So, um, yes, boo, thank you. So, they were pulled out of their meeting space because of the sign that says, uh, homosexuality is basically a hate crime against God. Now, I don't know, you know, a lot of preachers, a lot of people quote scripture saying, um, God hates homosexuality. God hates a lot of things, apparently, and yet he's love at the same time. It's somewhat confusing. I don't know. Uh, either he loves all the time or hates all the time. But either way, the reality is the fact that uh, <clears throat> we've got it all kind of messed up. We forget humanity. You know, We forget that we're humanity. You know, we're humans first. And, um, you know, whether we're repressed sexually or whatever it may be, uh, people are going to say we're casting judgment. I, I, I don't think the sign was tactful, but I, I wouldn't put that on my sign. <laughs> I definitely would not put that on my sign. But I would say, you know, God loves those persons uh, who are same-sex attracted. Uh, whether He prefers them to be that way, I cannot say because you know, I don't know. I like to say I know the. The heart and mind of God. I question my own mind and heart at times. So, and my my um my motives in saying things and interacting with people are sometimes not always the best motives. So, anyway, what they say who who am who are me to judge? <laughs> but um, there are several studies stories from the old black church that um caught my interest. So if you ever get a chance to go by that that, web, that blog site, the Old Black Church, 
you'll find some interesting articles. Another one that came up is um, about Marvin Winans, and I only thought this was I got a superhero in the church. <laughs> uh, Marvin Winans, if you're not familiar with him, of course he's a gospel singer, but uh, aside from being a gospel singer, uh, his name recently came back up a couple of weeks ago. If you, uh, you know, with the uh, Leandria John calling him out and saying whatever she said about him. Um, Marvin Winans is a bishop. Um, I don't know if he's a bishop of his own little fellowship or just a bishop of his local church that uh, have other people under him. I, I don't know. But he's a bishop. And um, and um, um, the last 10 years or so, he's been uh, having a campaign to build a multi-million dollar edifice. Um, you could go there, and this is no secret. You know, the the um, but the building was pretty nice, pretty big. But the problem is, is where it's located in Detroit. Um, uh, some would say it's in, located in the area of Detroit that is still. Uh, not in full recovery. There's a lot of poverty, and he used to build this multi-million dollar. Oh goodness, is he? <laughs> oh Lord, this is gonna be. Um, I don't know if y'all can hear all noise. Can you? Can y'all hear all that noise that he's doing? Can you see what he's doing? Look at it. Say hi. Hi. Look at little adorable little dude. Yeah, three years old. Uh, I had my. My dog Jackson was in here, and when they're, they're those two are together, uh, it's something else. Uh, say hi. Hi. I hope his mother is watching. I'm doing a good job babysitting. Anyway, so Marvin Winans was is the, the reason he's making the the blog talk or church gossip circle or whatever you want to call it. Is because he's trying to he, he's trying to again re, uh, renew the vision to build this building, this edifice. Uh, now it's a multi-million dollar edifice, and supposedly will be able to seat about five thousand persons. I don't know the numbers, folk in his in his uh, ministry <clears throat> membership. Neither do I know, but. Perhaps he was looking to use it for other means, you know, conferences or revivals or concerts, live recordings, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you having fun? Uh, so, whatever it may be. <laughs> I tell you, I just don't know what's going on in here. He he he's drawing fire. For the controversy, why is he still trying to build yeah, after all right. these years? You know, um, I love a building, but he wants to build. He he says the Lord has commanded him to build this building, and I, I have issue with that. But that's neither here nor there. I can't I can't dispute what God said for him to do. Yeah. The only thing I can do, the only thing I can do is just to know um, that maybe. Maybe five thousand be too many. <laughs> maybe you can settle for maybe a auditorium that a seat thousand. You know, I mean, I'm just 
because you got to think if you do this building and he wants to build it, um, I'm sure he wants to build it without debt, like what uh, many ministers come to do when they build new edifices. You know, they want to do it debt free. They don't want to rely. I don't. They don't want to rely on banks and churches. They've been having the building fund for the last thirty years. <laughs> hey, got nothing done. Plenty of money in the building fund. And uh, I, I was at a church one time. The pastor, the pastor had a vision for the building, and um, they had been raising money, and they had nearly forty million dollars in a building account. And I'm not exaggerating. They had that much money in the building account. And guess what? The preacher died, and they still didn't build, and the money still just sitting there. <laughs> and then there's the case of uh, post Katrina. A lot of churches. There was one bishop in uh, New Orleans who basically he got some went from um, some building, and um, it is what it is. Somebody's knocking the door. Let me take a quick break. He's knocking at my door. Be right back. Boy, 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 boy. Y'all excuse the break. Sorry about that. All right. Lost my whole tire train of thought. I don't know what I'm doing. Now I have two Jacksons in here. A three-year-old and a six-year-old dog. So I don't know how this is going to go at all. Anyway. Uh, let's see. This is crazy. So let me try to ease the tide here between these two rascals and and try to stay on task on what I'm doing. Uh, Live radio. Boy, I tell you, it's funny. Uh, There's several other studies I want to talk about, but I rest. It's the 100th birthday of Nelson Mandela. Um, You know, and... We're all familiar with Nelson Mandela. If you're not familiar with him, you get familiar with him. But recently passed, and yesterday um, they had a Nelson Mandela lecture series in South Africa. And uh, former President uh, Barack Obama was one of the guest lecturers. Um, he provided some interesting sound bites for media. Um, but basically, he, you know, he spoke about you know, regimes, dictatorships, and providing people with emphasis for governance, self-governance, and warning against uh, the the probability, the hyperion type of government that is coming and sweeping across countries in Europe and seems to be, seems to be, that is not the case, but it does seem to be the case here in the States as an attempt as some would try to say that Trump is uh, trying to shift 
toward a totalitarian um, leadership. He's admiring persons like Putin and um, the um, president of, of North Korea, president of China, and most recently the president of Turkey. And all those countries, if you're not familiar, have basically uh, one-person rule. Or uh, in case of China, you know, they, the president is just—they just the people just voted to have him president basically for life, and basically gave him the powers of a dictator. Uh, but they're communists in all of these countries. All of these countries he admires uh, are rooted in a communist perspective, not necessarily a socialist perspective, uh, except with the exception of Russia, still has a uh, somewhat of a socialist perspective, but they very much rooted in the communist idea. And you have um, Korea is just its own thing. Yes, it's communist, but who knows what they really think. I don't know. I'm just saying. But we we, we see not and, – and this is a reflection also at the church state. You're seeing more preachers try to have that type of um, – that same type of authoritarian leadership uh, within their their churches, they're the sole authority, and by being the sole authority, you know, no one can contradict them, and so they reign and rule over people. And uh, while their ministries may grow, and while the numbers may grow, population-wise, demographic-wise, may grow, uh, what comes with that? I, hey, hey, hey! Y'all got to cut it out. Cut it out. What comes with that? Is this sense of um, narcissism, the sense of entitlement, the sense of everything else that comes with that? But we're seeing it. You observe it in a lot of churches, and it it is damaging because, it, as it reflects again on the thing uh, with Leandria Johnson and many others, what they're calling church hurt is actually a reflection of poor interpersonal skills. With church leadership, uh, where church leadership are unwilling uh, to be authentic, transparent, and relational in their in their um, leadership, you know, they may say they're serving leaders, but they're really functioning uh, like hirelings, and that's that is troubling the church. And like I say, it's it's. Um, not just it, it transcends the political realm. Uh, we see this in the spiritual realm. But Mandela, for all that he did post prison, we see and recognize that his legacy, for the most part, is uh, while he had communist leanings himself and while he had socialist leanings himself as president, uh, we see the humanity that he had towards the love for humanity. Uh, you know, and I and I think that's uh, the thing that we should remember him as. You know, he he loved humanity, um, and he presented that in a way that transcended culture, race, and uh, political affiliation. Political affiliation. Either way. Hey, mommy. Uh, this is Womack. Uh, shout out to you. Uh, so those those one of the things. So I'm bla- I'm kind of rambling because, you know, I lost track. I had the script and lost track thanks to my little visitors here. 
But uh, anyway, so uh, Marvin Winans, back to this Marvin Winans thing, and then I'm going to take a break. And we'll, um, I, I just personally, this is just me. I would give up. And I tell you what, I would give up. I wouldn't give up on the vision. I believe God would still probably say that we could do it if it's there. But you know, um, if it's not there now, you wait. You, you know, you write the vision, you make it plain. Though it tarry, wait for it, and it will it will come to pass. That's what Scripture says. And I think you know, and I desire to do more, and want to be more, especially in the church, in in the black church in particular. Uh, not so much as in I, uh, um, other counterparts. We have this need to to want to exploit at God's expense, and I think that's a dangerous thing when we start doing that. Because membership ain't guaranteed for see, you know, membership in most churches is seasonal. You get mad, you say something wrong, and people leave your church. You do something wrong, people will leave your church. You get caught up in the scandal, people will leave your church, and you'll suffer. But if you build something that's centered around the God of grace and the Christ of our redemption, uh, you have people rallying for that cause, and not for a building, not for a ministry, definitely not for a personality. But that's just me. Maybe I'm just hating. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let me take a quick break and um, and I got to um, get my thoughts together and get these these guys calmed down. They quiet for now. But y'all can't hear me. And uh, the chat room, thanks for the chat room. I did put a link there on my page, so if you want to share some thoughts, you can make comments on the live thing. So, yeah, this is still kind of new. What is it? So, um, five years, Black Lives Matter. Five years ago, um, a group of persons began after the acquittal of George Zimmerman started a hashtag or the phrase Black Lives Matter on social media. And three young ladies collaborated to put this hashtag together uh, on the Twitter, you know, Instagram and all that Black Lives Matter. Now, part of it uh, was heightened. Uh, I mean, the bulk of it really came during the summers of 14 and 15 and 16, where you saw what seemed to be an abhorrent number of unarmed people of color being assailed by police, killed by police. Think about Sandra Blaine, Eric Garner, whose daughter led the movement there in the New York area who's now she's now passed away but she was one of the uh premier faces of the Black Lives movement in the New York area and I could go down the line within the pantheon 
of what some would deem as martyrs, martyrs within uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And we, you know, I, I, I first, you know, particularly with Michael Brown, this was the most controversial. Um, the narrative was that Michael Brown um, walked with his hands up and said, don't shoot. And yet the officer shot and uh, and killed him. Of course, we know that narrative uh, turned out to be incorrect. We know, you know, what he had done prior to his encounter with the officer. We know what type of physical uh, encounter he had with the officer that led to uh, ultimately to his death. And yet in, in um, Ferguson, the rioting that happened uh, following that event, only only un, uh, uncovered layers of uh, malfeasance and mistreatment in that particular community. And also uncovered a whole lot of, you know, the fact that uh, the council and the police department were largely uh, non-people of color and the community were people of color. The fact that they were ravaging ravaging their own neighborhoods and their own stores, and then you hear after the shooting of another person in uh, what was it, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, I believe, I can't remember, um, where his sister got out and the media portrayed her as this purveyor of peace and not to loot and do all this, but be people of peace, but. When you look at the full clip, they were saying, you know, she was <laughs> giving a call to action not to do do it in their neighborhoods, but to do it in everybody else's neighborhood. <laughs> whatever, Darius, uh, I don't know what it do, but it, whatever it's doing, it's doing. <laughs> My, you need to come back here. You need to come back to Mississippi, man. I ain't got nothing to do. I ain't got nobody to get in trouble with. Um. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the, the 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 narratives uh that led to the the development of the Black Lives Matter movement were somewhat skewed skewed I guess you can say, but the underlying premise was to promote this sense that crimes against um people of color, black lives, black people in particular, seemed to be nonchalant, taken with a nonchalant attitude, particularly in our own communities, you know. We would have black on black crime and we were, you know, we we don't snitch. Uh, we have many unsolved homicides and in our community and that includes my own nephew, you know. Um his homicide is still unsolved, you know, and that goes on across the country in neighborhoods, and we seem to have some type of silence when it's us, but when it's not us, we can raise our voice, and, and whether, and, and that, you know, people can say what they want to say about that, that, that it is what it is, but the reality of the matter is that, that we must recognize that um, 
there is there is a big discrepancy and and we've seen it even more recently with nonviolent crimes. With nonviolent crimes, by that uh, you think about the students who uh, the people who are getting called police on because they're black. The young bed, the two young men in Philadelphia sitting in Starbucks, and the police are called on them. The student at Yale in her dorm room studying, and someone called the police because they didn't believe she should be there. The young black um, man going to his apartment in New York City, and police called on him because someone believed that he didn't belong there. <laughs> Think about uh, people having a picnic, and someone called the police. Uh, more recently, someone at the swimming pool calling the police. You know, and, and so these are non nonviolent acts that seem to imply again that Black lives don't matter. By way of the actions of non-people of color, uh, these actions say that because this person is black, we have the uh, we have the right to assume that if they're in some place that we think they should not be, then we have the right to call the police on them, and that's how it comes across. Uh, so I, I think there's a new phase of this and a new shift. Now, let let me let me. Put this disclaimer out there: The Black Lives Movement has become a very organized, uh, well-funded, um, well-structured organization. So you have to differentiate the Black Lives Movement from the Black Lives Matter call. You don't have to be a part of the movement to say the Black Lives Matter, and um, you don't have to. Be black to say Black Lives Matter, and and, and I, I applaud all those persons, non-persons of color, the white people, Asian people, all those who have become allies in this move in this movement. And I've seen a lot of pictures, move memes, and videos regarding that. But historically, we we see where. Black lives have not really mattered, and we can talk about that honestly. And I'm not just talking about slavery either. I'm not just talking about pre-civil rights either. I'm talking about just within the last uh, my 40 years of life. Within my 40 years of life, historically, we can see where black lives um, were less considered less of an issue. To other, uh, and we see it. You, you know, you can talk about the systemic prison population that's um, more black than anything else, particularly here in the South and Louisiana and Mississippi. Uh, you could talk about um, the education system where in urban areas the the education is poor than in more populous or more um, wealthy areas. And matter of fact, we were just I was just at a, a meeting with uh, the Jackson Public School discussing some of these things and um, someone brought up the issue that there's a private school here in the city that's very is well funded it's in a wonderful part of the city um, Jackson Academy is his name and and how 
the persons who support that school. You know, it's it's a it's a private school, so that means it doesn't. I, I as far as I know, it doesn't get any type of state funding. It may I I may not I'm, I may be out of loop on that. Um, and that those persons, those parents paying the tuition to attend for their children to attend that school, are the same parents who are being fed negative information about funding public schools and some reason they will support and they will fund their private school and with the same in the same way speak out against funding public schools largely because in their minds in the way um, some of the legislatures have formed it you know have placed this narrative is that public schools are failing and public schools are failing because of, you know, basically the population is largely people of color and people of color don't really want to be educated. They don't really want to be educated because they want to live off the government and they want to live off the government because the government gives them food stamps. The government gives them welfare. The government gives them Section 8 housing. The government gives them all it is. And so they are less likely to perform well in school because they know whether they are perform bad, poor or bad, they have a, something to fall back on. And that's a terrible not that's a terrible terrible narrative that's being put forth not just here in Mississippi but across the country in many big cities and urban areas, you know, that's the same it's the same narrative. The narrative goes that they don't really want to do anything, so we shouldn't really fund them or the second narrative is that the teachers are just there um, to get a paycheck, and many of them, because they did not go, they did not go to school for education or something else. They're just selling, because again, the government has created things like Teach America, so you could teach a couple of years, and and the government will pay off your student loans, and then you can go and start your career, and you don't really have to care about the students, and. And those persons who will say that they are fiscal conservative and that they are uh, uh, for limited government and a limited government within the sphere of individual liberties, those persons will present that argument. Um, and again, it goes back to the whole this whole concept that re- reality is that. Black lives don't matter to black people because if black people, if black lives matter to black people, then black people would be more assertive, more aggressive in promoting agendas and and adopting things that will be empowering and liberating for those communities that black people live in. And then there are those who would say, there then there are those who would say that. Well, they are on a democratic plantation, and they're voting against their vote, their best interests. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna address this. You know, I, I, I identify as a conservative. At one time, I identified as a Republican. I, I know they got the ways to go to get me back there, but the, the reality is, uh, there's a democratic platform. Uh, plantation as a Republican plantation, and we just need to get off both of them and start thinking for ourselves. But, but the, here's here's the thing. 
when they say that blacks vote against their interests, their own interests, there there's some truth to that. But again, think about how we've been conditioned to do so. And this again is the narrative. Well, this is where the Black Lives Matter matters movement comes in. I I was glad when I saw them sparking interest in um, getting people registered to vote, young people registered to vote. Not only that, but I was also very glad to see people turning out to vote uh, post-2012. And I was glad to see um, – I worked the polls sometimes here in my local elections, and I, I just love to see young people coming out and voting in municipal and county elections when, when it's not a presidential election. That, that really is where we miss it. Uh, you know, large times when it's just a county or a city election, a municipal election, you you have low voter turnout. You're going to have maybe maybe ten to thirty percent turnout to vote in a municipal election if a city council, school board, or mayor. But when it's a presidential election, you'll have a greater number. But most people are not informed, are not really educated about what's you know. Other than president, you know, for example, this midterm is probably pivotal now only because of the person we have serving as president. <laughs> and there are those who are established who are trying to see him out. You know, they want to get him out. And then there are those who hope to shift the demographics of our congressional delegations from red to blue. And so that that's the motive for that. Chelsea, this is true. Negative fixed mindset. You're right. It is a negative fixed mindset. Thank you for that comment. Um, so there's there's a lot working against us. Largely, it's self-inflicted, and it's self-inflicted. I I say it's self-inflicted largely because um, we were conditioned uh, post World War II to think a certain way, to vote a certain way. And those persons at one time were in our best interest, but everybody, you know, everybody, uh, and I'm speaking very generally, but we we did have a large amount of our politicians, you know, become Uncle Tom. And when I say Uncle Tom, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about they were acting white. I'm talking about they sold out to the system. (laughs) They became Uncle Toms, uh, not that they were acting white or you know anything of that nature they became uncle tom because they were no longer for uh a principle of liberation for our people dollars mean something when you got to fund a campaign you know and those persons who are funding you say you stick to this message <laughs> or you vote for this we're going to get you elected but you're going to have to vote this way you know you have to make a choice you're going to make a choice whether you're going to be this way, or you're gonna stick to yourself and say, "Well, you can give me your money, but I'm still gonna vote my way." And those are the kind of politicians we're lacking, largely in the black community. And when you put it within the full spectrum of the black community, beginning with the black church, well, and, and I, again, I know some may say there's no such thing as black church or white church, and we all the church. No, they're very distinctive. They're very distinctive, beginning in the black church. Um, the leadership model in the black church in many cases where you have a male dominated leadership and yet you have 
and yet you have females doing all the work, doing all the caring and work of the ministry. And, you know, that dynamic is reflected also educational system. You have a uh, population dominated by female teachers lacking male teachers and in some cases, not all cases, but where most of the leadership in the district is male. And this dynamic has to change. The whole construct has to change from the church to uh, education. And then, again, within the larger spectrum of the political system within the black community, you know, again, a large amount of elected officials are, are male and not females. And when you look at the broader spectrum of that at the uh, at the federal level, now think about this. Think about this. We are 13 to 15 percent of the population, and we only reflect uh, in, in congress- congressional representation just about 3 percent. And I may be wrong on those figures. I may be wrong on those figures, but uh, we 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 don't represent a large portion of our even of our population. I think uh, maybe less than one percent of our we were you know elected officials, both at the local and uh, well not at the local. I'll just stick to the government, to the state and federal level. Uh, reflect us. And think about this. Think about this. There are 100 senators, and of those 100 senators, only three are black. Two are male. One is female. Two are Democrats. One is Republican. Okay? One is from the east. One is from the south. And one is from the west. Now, in that sense, <laughs> that kind of does reflect a little bit. We don't have any representation uh, as senators from the Midwest or the Southwest, for that matter. Uh, <laughs> but we got it in the in the congressional district and representation in Congress. Now, of that congressional Black Caucus, all all members, with the exception of Tim Scott, who is the senator from um, South Carolina, I don't believe he's a part of that uh, that caucus. He may be. I, I could. I'm not sure. But all of them are members of the Democratic Party, and they do not have a significant uh, leadership. Now we do have um, leadership in the Democratic Party. Uh, I think the majority whip is. I could be mistaken. Um, Elijah Cummings, I want to say he is. It may not be him. Um, no, it's the guy from South Carolina. <sighs> I'll think of it later. But we 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 have significant. Uh, we don't have significant representation as needs be across the spectrum, and we have to radically shift that. And. Uh, we could do all the voter registrations we want to, and I strongly encourage that. But to really have the Black Matter, Black Lives Matter reflected in totality within the spectrum of our existence as people of color, as black people, that we gotta we gotta be more aggressive with it. 
We cannot just limit it to acts of aggression when it's uh, police against a person of color, a black person. We can't. I mean, that's worthless in so many words because we, we're going to see that more frequently than we see anything else. And like they're protesting right now in Chicago uh, against the death of a, po- of a black man, a barber living in Chicago who uh, was apparently well-loved in his community. And he was killed by police officers. And they released a 40-second video of the shooting body cam footage of the shooting in which it was clear that he had a weapon and that he it looked like he was reaching for the weapon. Whether that's true or not, uh, he was reaching towards his hip now. But he had a weapon, so he wasn't unarmed. But they're still saying that was an unnecessary death. And I agree. Any, any, any death by as a result of police interaction that can be preventable is unnecessary. My brother is a police officer in my hometown, and I pray for him and his coworkers daily. Because I understand what they do. I mean, he got injured on the job because of what he was doing. Uh, uh, you know, he 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 has faced it down. And and you're talking about he patrols my home my home block. You know, <laughs> he, he patrols my hood. He patrols the hood that he knows well. And it's sad when he has to those encounters where he has to put himself first before the perp. You know. There's nothing wrong with that, but he has to do that, and it, it it it's a scary thing when I think about that. And when we share, and he shares with me what he experiences, uh, it's a, it's a scary thought. But we cannot just use the Black Lives Matter mantra or movement when it comes just to acts of aggression from law enforcement. We have to use that same mantra and that same movement uh, within the full spectrum of our existence. Uh, our existence that includes church life. We got to say Black Lives Matter when it comes to church life and get rid of these preachers and things that are exploiting our people. You know that's just reality. They are exploiting our people. They want to build building bigger buildings, and, and that's noble. I, I ain't hating on them. Uh, they want to have greater ministries, and that's noble. I ain't hating on them. But when it's done at the expense of persons of color who are in poverty and things of that nature, we always matter when it comes to this. Your church ain't paying no taxes. So what are you doing for outreach? If you, if you are doing outreach, okay, how are you helping economic development? You know, how are you providing jobs? And I'm just talking about for your members. How are you doing that? How can, how can you as a church help create jobs in our community? You know, can you can you get those brothers who coming out and reentering the community, get them into college where they can be barbers if they didn't have a skill, get them into some type of skill, train, and let them go back into our community, open their own businesses, and we support them? All right, yeah, man. And what about, you know... <laughs> If you got you know somebody tussling on the side and they, they you know they 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 slanging, how about getting them trained as an entrepreneur so they can become le- legitimate? So if weed is every is ever is we if weed is ever made federally 
made legal at the federal level level they can open their business they can be legit they can serve they can they can they can slain that purple <laughs> i don't even know what i'm saying <laughs> well but but you you get what i'm saying that's a, that's a spectrum of black lives matter you can say okay man you got these skills let's get you trained let's 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 set up this this um this think tank, this business think tank. Let's see what what skill set do you have that can be a viable business, not just an idea. All right, so you want a studio, okay? What can you do other than rap? Okay, we got enough rappers. What can you do? You want to open a studio? How about open a studio and encouraging those students who are taking classical music, those who are in orchestra. Yeah, and encourage them to learn Brahms, encourage them to learn Beethoven, and encourage them to say, okay, I want to record you. I want to make an album with you playing Bach. Play, play concertos of Bach. A Bach. Play, I, I want to re- record you playing the Brandenburg concertos, all of them. And that's where we go. That's going to be your hustle. You can't rap. All right, fine. You You can play. You can play this, right? Good. How about, you know, franchising? We get together and say, okay, churches, all right, we know uh, we know that there's a food desert in this area. Let's pool our funds together, and let's open a franchise, not of a McDonald's and not of anything like that, but let's open a franchise. Let's, a, let's open a Panera Bread in South, you know, like in South Jackson. Let's let's make it viable. I like what there's a church here, New Horizon, and Bishop Ronnie Crudup and his son Ronnie Crudup Judah. I gotta gotta commend them for what they're doing in this area here in South Jackson. Uh, they're really revitalizing by inviting people to come in and live there. Uh, but but uh, they 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 taking leadership. Not just him. There are many others. I just he was just came on top of my head. But pulling together. I remember there was a church, uh, a group of churches that started a federal credit union. And it may be, uh, I think churches here helped start Hope Credit Union here. I, I, I may be mistaken, but, but but again, pooling our resources together as a community, if we're going to really say Black Lives Matter and say, okay, we're going to engage our community by promoting things that are healthy for them, financially healthy. Uh, we're still working on getting you know, more private schools, more black-centered, church-centered private schools. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Say hello. Say hello. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we, we don't have to wait for an agency to start a charter school if it's available. We, that's, that's the kind of stuff we can do. And we ain't got to buy into the rhetoric or the narrative that said black you know, charter schools or black private schools are going to hurt public schools. No, let let them empower public. Let them be used to to work with public schools. You know, we we know our public schools are failing. We shouldn't we shouldn't keep our children in failing public schools. You know, we can be empowered to say, okay, let the public schools fail, but we're not going to let our children fail. Yeah. Accountability. Thank you, Chelsea. You're right. Accountability. It's what we have to do. Huh? Yeah, what he said. It's just too adorable, I tell you. <laughs> I 
All right, all right, all right. All right, so I've branded long enough. Um, but I, I, I do want to this as I, as I wrap up, that I believe black lives matter. I have no political connotations to that within the full spectrum of our existence as black people. We need to, we matter. We need to know how empowering beyond just a mantra, beyond just a protest, beyond just a march, beyond just seeing and uh, uh, politicizing things. We need to get out of that because they're going to play us against each other. They're going to play us against one side. You know, you're a Democrat, they're going to play you. If you're a black Democrat, they're going to play you against a black Republican. If you're a black Republican, they're going to play you against a black Democrat. We, 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 we ain't no doggone pawns. And we should be tired of being used as such. We must do for us what others will not do for us. Beginning with education, beginning with the uh, spirituality in the church, and moving to the broader spectrum of of our political power. Malcolm, Martin, they ain't die for nothing. Shuttlesworth, they ain't die for nothing. Many, many others. They didn't die. They did not put their lives on the line. They understood greater than we do, Black Lives Matter. They didn't have to say it. They became it. They realized Black Lives Matter because they put their lives on on the front lines all the time. Uh, We can't exploit ourselves through the process. You can't, yeah. We can't exploit, and I'm, I'm, I can't say that enough. You know, we got to be tired of the self-exploitation. <laughs> you know, we, I, we talk about the black exploitation film, black exploitation films, and how in the '70s they were good and all of that. But the reality is, we export ourselves more now, <laughs> as church folk, as as teachers, as all we do it, and we do more harm to ourselves. And white folk do the same thing. It's just that it's a great amount of them. So the ripple effect of what they do to their communities doesn't isn't as great as it is with us. You know, we when it hurts us, it hurts us. It can go through generations before we able to, you know, get over it. Anyway, I run out of time, man. I didn't talk. Y'all let me ramble. I appreciate it. Hey. Uh, if you're in the Jackson, Mississippi area on July the 29th, I want to take this time to invite you to come uh, to uh, the Laborers of Vineyard uh, Gospel Choir singing with that choir. Darius Mott sing, used to sing with that choir, putting him on blast again. He ain't even on it, but anyway. But uh, we'll be having uh, our annual anniversary concert, 32 years, and that will be Sunday, July 29th. At 5 o'clock at my church, New Bethel. If you're in the Jackson area, you're welcome to come. If you're not in the Jackson area, you're welcome to to send some money. <laughs> no. But anyway, thank you for tuning in. Listen, and, uh, you can support me. I have a Patreon page. Uh, and you can go. I'll give you the information for that. But you can support me on Patreon. You can support me uh, to keep this broadcast alive. Uh, uh, Darius coming to do a solo. All righty then, because we sure need some soloists. 
<laughs> uh, but you can support me. Uh, PayPal, uh, all of that information is there. Um, go to my webpage, Lorenzo T. Neal. I ain't updated it yet, but you can read some articles and catch out. You can see how you can support me there. Um, um, however you do it, I appreciate it. Tune in. Every episode we do is broadcast. Uh, sometimes it's archived. Sometimes it's broadcast live, like today. But you can catch up any of those. Uh, Zero Today, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Zero Today, or the Zero Network Facebook page. Uh, and available on iTunes and all the other podcasts, your favorite podcasts. You can download them. Uh, Zero Today. Thank you for your support. I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I have my hands full, as you can see. <laughs> I have my hands full. They, these guys, uh, there's a dog and there's a three-year-old, and that's about all I can say about that. But anyway, let me get out of here. You guys have a great day. And uh, see you next I'll take